You're listening to The Voice. Bienvenue à Leuven. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Namaskara. And do you know any other language, Marit? Uh, well, Dutch, maybe. Goedemiddag. Um, Goedemiddag. Dear listeners, this is radio. This is the voice on Radio Scopio 106 FM, and uh, today's show is hosted by uh, Marit. Hello, I'm uh, Marit. I'm from the Netherlands, and I'm an editor for the Voice. And Sehan, I'm from Switzerland, and also an editor for the Voice. Marit, we have now vacations, and during the vacations, you were back at home in the Netherlands. Yeah, that's right. Could you maybe share with our listeners if there is anything worth seeing in a weekend trip, for instance? Uh, wow, yeah, there's a lot of places to go in the Netherlands. Um, uh, city-wise, I would recommend actually uh, Rotterdam over Amsterdam, maybe. Amsterdam is, of course, you know, the usual suspect. Um, but Rotterdam has a lot of history as well. It's a city that is uh, most bombed in the Second World War. Um, so it has a lot of new arch architecture. It has a really nice uh, skyline and it's more like a metropolitan uh, city. It really has that feel to it. And also it has a pretty good nightlife, actually. Um, but also if you like more um, beautiful towns, like more little towns, um, then you could also visit uh, a few little towns close to Amsterdam. And what I would recommend is, for example, uh, Volendam. It's a really uh, nice uh, city with a, um, uh, they are famous for their fish, for example. Fish? So, yeah, for their fish. What you can, can you get do with like. Fish? Eating or. Uh... Eating fish, oh. yes. <laughs> yes, we have a famous fish like herring. I don't know if you ever tasted it. Uh, some people hate it, but actually it's quite delicious with onions. Mm, controversial. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and they have um, paling, and it's more like a sort of eel. Something like that. Uh, so not, yeah, quite, yeah. I mean, uh, some kind of fish. Uh, that's that's also delicious, uh, actually, for me as a Dutch person. But I really don't know how other people would react to it. So that's that could be interesting to go there to eat the fish there. That sounds really cool. Cool. Um, but if if you in case want uh, to stay in Belgium, I was in Hallerbos. Uh -huh. uh, last weekend, uh, you may have read our article on the Hallerbos. It's the one with the blue f uh, flower carpet in the forest. Mm -hmm. It's very easily reachable. You will there. You'll be there in like forty minutes from Leuven, and it was very, very beautiful. We saw wildlife. We saw a phason. I don't know if you know these birds. They are. Yeah, I do. Yeah, uh, they're a bit. Um, bigger than doves, but they walk around like penguins. So. <laughs> Quite a spectacular thing to see. And yeah. So for today's show, we have, invi we have invited three guests. First is Brecht. He is from Boer and Company. He is a farmer at a community-supported agriculture farm here in Leuven. Our second guest is... Uh, Megan from the Feminist Society. And uh, we're going to talk about the Feminist Society had an event last week about uh, women's art. So that's one of the uh, topics that we will talk about with her. And then we also have a third guest. Who is, by coincidence, also our one of our editors, yeah. Nick Johnston. And we're going to talk a bit about the tuition fee increase, since there are a lot of things happen have happened. And it's important for the, the international community here. Yeah, definitely. So it will be fun. So, but Marit, actually, you're here now for three three years, right? Yes, yeah, that's correct. In terms of a domestic travel here in Belgium, can you recommend maybe something? Domestic? What, like, what exactly uh, do you mean? I don't know, like Antwerp or Ostend. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. We talked about going to the beach, uh, like uh, like one hour ago, right? Yeah. We were talking about <laughs> it. So, yeah. Now I'm thinking about Ostend, of course. Yeah, Ostend is nice, and I actually heard that if you walk long enough, you can go to. Um, uh, I think it's called Newport or something. It's also a beach there, <laughs> and then almost you can almost reach reach uh, France. <laughs> apparently, I I, cool. I haven't done it yet, but I heard like really good stories about it. That it's a really nice uh, beach, actually. 
So hopefully the weather will get a little bit better because right now it's a pretty, pretty uh, uh, frisk. Like it's yeah, pretty, it's, yeah. The, 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 it's not the best weather to have a to, to sunbathe, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. So. <laughs> um, for uh, from me, for uh, I liked I liked Ostende actually. It's um, it's a port city. Mm-hmm. And it has a quite a, a beautiful architecture, in my opinion. Yeah, and definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has. Yeah. Well, the the, the opinions are uh, so, the jury is so out about that on that. But okay, yeah. Cool. We're about to have our first song. Uh huh. With our with us in our in the studio, we welcome now Brecht Hause. Did I pronounce the name correctly? No, but I'm not going to bother you with the right pronunciation of my name. There's no one, even Flemish people, have hard time pronouncing it uh, the right way. So it's okay for me. But now I'm actually even more inclined more to know how it is pronounced. Hussey. Hussey. Okay, good to know. Good to know. Yeah. Brecht, thank you for coming here. And but to give our hear listeners uh, a profile about you. Could you tell us in like 30 seconds, who are you? Um, <laughs> no, that's hard. Um, I'm the proud father of three sisters and the proud husband of a very nice wife. And on the side, I'm a farmer <laughs> since four years. Since you give me only 30 seconds, <laughs> I get a bit stressed. So let's stick to this. <laughs> Setting priorities right, that's cool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, talking about you being a farmer, how have you decided to, to become a farmer for this lifestyle since being a farmer is more than a job, I assume? 
um, it's way much more than a job. <laughs> um, I, I have known since I was a kid that uh, I wanted to become a farmer, but um, everybody was telling me, but that's impossible. If you're not a farmer's son, you can't become a farmer, or if you're not a farmer's daughter. Um, and I think at the time it was uh, correct to say so. It, it was very hard to become a farmer if you were not a farmer from a farmer's family. But I, I grew up on the farm of my neighbors and, and that's where I got the microbe. Uh, but then I, as everyone else, I went to college um, and I got a nice job and so on. But this dream of mine, this child dream, uh, stuck with me. And uh, at some point I... I jumped. Uh, I had to do this, but um, this was only made possible by the existence of uh, CSA. When I got to know CSA, that was where I knew, like, okay, this is my way. And in fact, the the CSA, the, the Community Supported Agriculture, this business model, this was yeah. the reason why we invited you here. Could you... Explain to our listeners what uh, CSA is. Well, it, it's way much more than a business model, and that's the the power of it. Uh, we say that it's got three pillars. It's got an ecological pillar, an economical, and a social pillar. And um, what, well, to my mind, the social pillar is the most important one because what we do is related directly to the people for for whom we are farming. Our farm couldn't exist without the people around us supporting us, and that's where the CSA, the community supported, supporting farm is all about. Um, it's a community-based farm. Without a community, we, we have no farm. And, um, well, that, that that's where... Um, we differ a lot from the dominant farming system where which is a very anonymous system where farmers they don't know for whom they are growing um, it's subsidy based um, and well their system is all that we are not I mean what we, all, um, everything that they do we do it the other way around um, <laughs> and uh, well uh, that's a necessity to our mind because the the way farming the dominant farming system works um, I don't think it has a future um, it can't last because it's not community based because it's all about huge production and so on well, and your farm is a rather small scale farm um, it began very small scale we're growing now we're still small for even for Belgian, um, for Belgian kind of farm, we are on the small side. Uh, we, we we work now for about uh, 43 hectares, uh, but we the, the farm started with one and a half hectares. Oh, wow. um, but um, <clears throat> over the years, uh, the farm has evolved from a vegetable farm to a mixed farm, and that's where the hectares come in. Um, you can make a living with vex with vegetables. Uh, you can make a living on very small surfaces, and that's where the CSA model is for um, many not farmers' sons and daughters a way to start farming. And how many people are so? If I've understood the model correctly, people subscribe on your farm, yeah, and then they are taking also uh, they get products by the end of the or, or uh, they get your products right so if yeah. if it's a good year they get more products if it's a bad year they get less and they also work on your farm so i was wondering how many people how many people are involved in your csa well it depends if we if we just focus now on the vegetable part so we have two vegetable fields of each one and a half hectare it's it's less than that even it's 1.3 for each vegetable field and each uh, field um, is uh, well the size um, is f uh, set up for 320 persons so children and adults um, and those people they um, get a share in the harvest at the beginning of the season um, and well, that's another central issue and, and we try to address uh, to every harvest there is uh, a harvest risk and in the dominant um, agricultural system um, the, the harvest risk is completely for the farmer so if he's growing okay uh, well yeah come <laughs> I'm talking okay. too much. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> Thank you very questions. much. Uh, we'll have a short break now and then continue for a second part. Thank you very much.
Cause it's been too long a ride Too high the fare Well I built and climbed a mountain But it wasn't there And I've been looking all around Looked everywhere Well I built and climbed a mountain But it wasn't there It isn't there Dum -da -dum. Dum -da -dum. It isn't here It isn't there Nor anywhere For me, and it's been too long a ride, too high the fare. Well, I built and climbed a mountain, but it wasn't there. And I've been looking all around, looked everywhere to build and climb a mountain. If it isn't there, it isn't there. Dum -da -dum. It isn't here, it isn't there, no. Welcome back to the studio. This is The Voice on Radio on Radio Scorpio on 106 FM. And with us in the studio is Brecht from the CSA, from the Community Supported Agricultural Farm here in Leuven. Brecht, um, I was wondering if people are working um, for, your, uh, uh, for your project What kind of benefits do they get? What kind of benefits do you see in including people in working on a farm? Well, the the, the work they do is very limited. Um, we do some, we call it more educational activities. We work together on the farm, um, but it's more like when we have peaks in weeding that I call for help, but it's not a structural kind of work that they do. It makes a difference, huh? but um, most of the work we do it and sometimes we call for help when we're, when we're in trouble. Mm. But do people, uh, I, I was thinking people could feel more attached to the, the, the farm if they work for it and I mean working for it if they help out and say like oh okay I help to grow this zucchini here and For some people that would really work huh? and, and, and some people really like to get their hands dirty and, and I think many people they want to know their farmer and they want they to know that just by having a share in the harvest they are supporting us um, but not everybody is expressing that through labor uh, uh, it can be any kind of help um, some people they would help us let's say with bookkeeping other would help us with uh, keeping the, the, the knives we used to harvest to keep them sharp or, or just writing nice a nice email you know it's uh, there are so many different kinds of supporting uh, um, to make this farm work we need a lot of different talents and well we have a large group of harvesters so there is many talents uh, amongst them Talk, uh, speaking of talents now for our listeners if they want to be involved in this what do they need to do Uh, they should write me an email <laughs> and tell them they went to <laughs> simple join the as farm. that <laughs> it's as simple as that and uh, we organize some info sessions uh, especially this time of the year 
and then I then we explain how it works and and what it costs and so on and then uh, people can decide if they like it or not um, and it would be nice uh, to use Radio Scorpio for this purpose because <laughs> uh, we, we don't get many students uh, and um, so it, w it would be nice to get more students on the farm this is this is very surprising to me as uh, because Leuven has 50,000 students that could, do you know about the the, the, the like the demographical uh, part of, of of your people I mean are there mostly like the old Leuvenaars or no it's, I, I think well most of them are middle class uh, many young families but also um, people whose children have left the family or um, even young couples um, it's it's rather spread I mean it's uh, uh, we even do extra uh, efforts to get people with a lower social economical status to get them to the farm. Um, but yeah, it's it's a typical Leuven public. Uh, Leuven there has a quite big um, middle class. Uh, I was now wondering, um, do you also get uh, any st support by the government with this? Um, we get some uh, subsidies, but in, in, in the total turnover of our farm, it's not it's not a crucial thing, and that's also another yeah. thing that differs uh, us, um, makes our farm different from the dominant uh, agricultural system. Yeah, I see. I see. Um, as for work, you said it's mostly about helping to to weed, etc. Yeah. Is it also possible to get in touch with uh, animals, for instance? Yeah, that's uh, why we became a mixed farmer. People get more attached to cows and to donkeys than they get yes. to, to salads <laughs> and to leeks. Um, but, you know, this was a dream of us uh, to have uh, a mixed farm, to have animals, because we really like uh, animals. And it makes... Uh, well, um, on the, the ecological side of the farm... This is what we have to do because we want to close all loops. Uh, we want to make sure that there is no waste on the farm and that means you have to include animals. I mean, in the case that uh, we have leftovers uh, on, on the vegetable fields, we can at least still feed it to the cows and we get them in your back yeah, yeah. and so on. So yeah, we need to have those animals and uh, I think the people who are behind us, most of them, they really uh, adore the animals as well. So it yeah, makes yeah. the farm more attractive. That's cool. Uh, you, you, we may see us again in this case. <laughs> okay. Feel welcome anytime. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, I was wondering, um, could you maybe share with us one particularly interesting story which happened? Oh, there's many uh, stories. I think, yeah, three years back we got our first cows and as we were putting them uh, on the meadow, um, they were quite stressed. Um, and, uh, well, uh, one of the calves escaped right away <laughs> and we had to chase it. Um, and luckily we were two and then somebody was lying, covering it, uh, keeping himself low to the soil. The other one was chasing it and it was really about jumping the calf to uh, catch it back uh, Yeah. Oh my god, that sounds really like an adventure. Brecht, yeah. thank you very, very much for being here and sharing with us about this project. Yeah. And good You're luck. You're most welcome. <laughs> See thank you next you. time. See you.
tussen weilanden door. Ik was haast vergeten hoe je was. Gewoon hoe je was. De stad kwam steeds dichterbij. We zouden eten in een rustig restaurant. En dan namen we de tijd om te praten om alles eens uit te spreken. We zijn net twee volwassenen. Zo samen gezellig uit eten. En ik luister aandachtig. Je luistert aandachtig Okay, you're back here with uh, in the studio, uh, the Voice Radio. Um, as you probably uh, also already noticed, we're playing a lot of Dutch songs today. So this last one was actually one of uh, Zeyan's choice, but we also have like a, a lot of other uh, Dutch songs today. But now, uh, actually joining us is uh, Megan. Hi, welcome Hi. Megan. Hi. Um, you're from the uh, Feminist Society. Yes, I'm yeah. the president of the KU Leuven Feminist Society. Yeah, I'm very happy that you could join us. Um, yeah, I'm very glad you contacted us. Yeah, yeah, cool. So um, we saw that there was like an event of the Feminist Society last week, I think, about uh, women's art. Um, it was about um, the fact that women uh, in history uh, were oftentimes not allowed or um, um, they could not expose their art or their husband would uh, sign their art with like, you know, like uh, as if he was the artist. Uh, how was this event? What, what happened actually there? Um, well, it was a great success. We were all, of course, always worried no one's going to show up, but... The point of it was to showcase women who aren't often seen because art is a very male-dominated world, a very white male-dominated world. Mm -hmm. And so none of us knew anything about art, really. Yeah. And so we all like, we're doing an art history night. We know nothing about art. So we went to the great internet and we were searching around. We found a lot of great things. And one of the um, displays we had was for women with their male muses because so often you see oh his muses they're such uh -huh. beautiful women yeah. but this time it was women showing their male muses okay yeah and um it was really just to show that women do the exact same thing that men do in art uh -huh. and that we should be seeing this and it shouldn't be ignored and um and do you have an example of like one of those male muses uh yes i believe uh, i can't remember at the top of my head right now because there were so many yeah. but um, this one's not actually a male muse it was inverting the male gaze it was mm -hmm. by Sylvia Slay I believe in 1974 73 I'm not quite sure uh -huh. but it was her take on a piece from the 1700s called the Turkish bath and in the original it's a bunch of nude females in a Turkish bath and in her take it was nude males in a Turkish bath and uh -huh. so at the time it was her saying We can do the exact same thing. I'm going to put 
naked men in my art and uh-huh. I have this provo- provocative piece. Yeah. And so it was really showing women do this. Yeah. And exactly. it should be seen. Yeah. Just like everybody else. Yeah. And as I understood it, I think also some students uh, showcased some of their art. Yes. Several students did bring their art to us. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them didn't want to have their names on it. So I'll respect that. Uh-huh. But it was really great because it got to, they got to, these women got to display their art and they were very happy to. And some of them came at the very last minute. They're like, I wasn't really sure because I was so nervous. But at the Mm. end of the day, they were so happy to get this opportunity that they might not have done otherwise. Because some of them, they do this just for fun. Yeah, exactly. But they were very serious about it. It's very passionate and their art showed that. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, So the uh, feminist society, uh, what do they do exactly in terms of, um, are there any gender related issues right now at K Leuven or in Leuven in general that you guys, uh, you know, that, that you tackle or... So right now we're not campaigning any one issue in particular. Uh-huh. What we are really trying to do is to create a platform where women can come and talk about the issues that, that are affecting them. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of months ago, we actually had a discussion about gender inequality in the sciences because um, someone was doing research on that for, I believe, her master's or her doctorate, mm-hmm. or independently even. And so it's a, to not overuse the word, it's a safe space, really, where... Thoughts can be heard, and people can like feel safe to talk about things. And uh, over a month ago, someone said came to us and said that her friend had experienced some very inappropriate and unacceptable behavior, mm-hmm. and they didn't really know where else to go. So they came to us, and okay. then we helped them go through the um, proper channels to figure out what happened and to yeah, 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 yeah sure, get yeah. help. Yeah. And also, I, um, I'm from the philosophy department, and we had um, we didn't have a feminism course. And I remember that like a group of students uh, really tried to have this on the curriculum. Do you know any feminism courses in other faculties? Well, Where, really, yeah. aside from the gender and diversity master's program, I'm not uh-huh. really aware of that. Uh-huh, okay. So if if people want to do like a feminism course, then where they should go in Leuven, that's not completely uh, cleared and uh, yeah i do know that there's one in in philosophy yeah. mm-hmm. and i know the gender and diversity master's program is unfortunately only in dutch ah okay so it really yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. The so that's maybe something to put on the agenda as well for Absolutely. the feminist society yeah yeah and so you also do a lot of uh, film screenings i think yeah we have yeah. done one already this semester and a few last semester we're planning to do more or at least one more now Um, but yeah, what we like to do is something that's a very an important topic. Like the most recent film was Suffragettes. It came out in 2015 about women's rights to vote. Yeah. And of course, it was very white and very um, it was England. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But afterwards, we had a great discussion about you know I can't believe this happened just over a hundred years ago. Yeah. And we talked about when everyone got their rights to vote. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, sorry, it's super interesting, but we're gonna go to a song right now. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, we'll talk after the song, we will talk further. Okay. I don't understand why that's an insult. Whenever someone says, you fight like a girl, I smile. All the while thinking of all the women in our history who have shaped our destiny. You see, before Martin Luther King, there was Rosa Parks. She didn't scream, rolled up her sleeves, and create a big scene. Instead, she fought with silence, with dignity, taking a stand nonviolently. So yes, I gladly fight like a girl. Because what people who say you fight like a girl don't understand is that you can't bench press your way out of oppression. You don't arm wrestle discrimination. Self-incrimination isn't fought by putting on boxing gloves. It starts with knowing your self-worth. And our worth isn't defined by what's between our inner thighs. Blatant lies, our society keeps telling us to keep men in charge and women in chains. Truth is, those saying it are probably chicken shit. Afraid of a world they don't know how to navigate without their male privilege, because let's face it, white men never had to fight for equality. Instead, they fought wars over religion, revenge, oil or land, but women, women have been fighting a lifetime of injustice, rewriting the written and unwritten truths held up by insecure men, men who are feeling threatened in their masculinity whenever a woman breaks through their man-made glass ceiling. You fight like a girl 
isn't an insult, rather a compliment. One that sheds light on the resilience it takes to bounce back from every sneak attack first round knockout by men who measure strength by the size of their muscles. You fight like a girl is an apology. For centuries of patriarchy, misogyny, sexism, brainwashing, slut-shaming, blaming, condescension, discrimination, disrespect, disregard, and physical abuse. And all the while, women have refused to use violence as a means to fight being silenced. Instead, they've armed themselves with their voices and refused to be just another background noise on a broken record stuck on repeat, repeating the broken parts of our human history over and over and over again. Their voices, louder than any gunshot, their voices, loaded with deadly truth-skilling assumptions, presumptions, and wrong beliefs about men being strong and women being weak. Whenever someone says, you fight like a girl, they should meet my sister. My sister, who never missed an opportunity to rise against my childhood bullies. And none of them boys dare to harm me, disarmed by her courage. My sister, who turned her courage into a cause when she became a doctor. No applause, no red carpet, no ticket tape parade. My sister, a hero without cape, using knives as weapons to fight saving lives. Whenever someone says, you fight like a girl, let them know my mother. A woman who wasn't bothered with how others perceived her and believed in her vision of adopting kids in need. A woman on a mission to feed the hunger for a future of a sister and a brother who otherwise would never be able to fight for their dreams. A woman who despite her body slowly giving up on her, never, ever gave up on me. The one person who doesn't see my skin first before everything else, who on her worst day still has more spirit than all those who opposed her together. Whenever someone says, you fight like a girl, I will tell them about every woman I've ever met who wouldn't let society hold her down, who are rising strong like never before, transforming the world with their brilliance, who are smashing through glass ceilings and breaking chains, using brains over brawn, taking boys to school. And only fools would refuse to see that centuries of gender injustice has led to women, meaning strength of character. And feminism isn't something to be ashamed of, rather a voice to be worn with pride. So let it be known that I am proud to fight like a girl. I'll fight on the right side of history because while you fighting like a man will always mean no to equality. Me fighting like a girl will always mean Yes. Thank Hello, everyone. We are back here in the studio, Radio Scorpio, uh, The Voice. And we're still here with Megan from Hi. the Feminist Society. Hey. Um, so, yeah, we just had now a slam poet called um, Kevin Groen. And he's uh, actually um, talking about feminism. And he says, like, fighting like a girl, that's not an insult, but more like a compliment almost. Um, and I think Feminist Society had an open mic also, right? Yes, we did. Um, at the beginning of March, I believe, so mm -hmm. over a month ago. And um, what was being talked about just now in the spoken word was very similar uh, to what was happening at the open mic night. But if, um, women were coming up with their poetry, sometimes very personal poetry, and they were so happy they got a chance to do it. And of course, it um, started out very slow because everyone was so nervous yeah. that no one wants to go up there and you know, get laughed at. But as everyone began to realize, people agree with this. I don't need to be nervous about doing this. It's a very happy and calm environment for everyone there. And it was just being there was a really wonderful thing, even if you weren't participating. Uh -huh. And so... I think everyone should give it a try at least once. I know I went up, I started it because I didn't want anyone else to have to go first. Yeah. But it's really, it's really enjoyable when you're just about a bunch of women. Yeah. Of course, there are men there too. We 
didn't bar anyone from coming to it. We don't like to do that at our events. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, that's actually something that I was wondering. Um, so, yeah, there are men who would identify themselves as feminists as well, for example. So the feminist society is uh, very, I, I think, very like inviting to them as well, right? right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Anyone can come to our meetings, you know, as yeah. long as you have a good attitude about it. Exactly. Anyone can come. We really like to have discussions, even if people are kind of being the devil's advocate and being, well, what about this? We say, all right, let's have a conversation. We don't Uh want any negativity. We want to be very transparent about what we're doing and um, invite as much conversation, because the more you talk, the more you can understand each other. Yeah, definitely. So that's also some of the goals, would you say, of the Feminist Society, to have this understanding between people? or Definitely. um, Having... An understanding with an open dialogue and collaborate with others to get to a better place. So even uh-huh. if you don't necessarily agree on everything and say, well, we agree on these points, so let's work on these together to move forward. Yeah. And and what kind of points are those? Uh, do you have any examples? Uh, well, it's really just about um, feeling safer yeah. in an environment. So there's people who, for whatever reason, might not feel safe walking home at night, mm-hmm. whether it be for you know gender-related issues, you know, sexism, being a woman afraid to go home at night, or maybe it has to do with race, that you don't feel safe because of the color of your skin going home. We can work together and say, hey, we want to create an environment where people act appropriately and you know what to do if something were to happen. Yeah, so if I understand correctly, it's not only about gender then, but also about race and things like that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Race, sexuality, these are all parts of what feminism is about. Because, you know, we're not, like, when it's about women, it's about all kinds of women. And women are of every color and sexuality, nationality, Mm -hmm. and religion. And so if we just focus on one kind of woman, you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to help anyone but yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So probably you, uh, diversity is something that's probably very much at the heart of the feminist society then? Absolutely. We are always trying to find diverse the diversity in what we do yeah and so for the art history night like we talked about before we made it a goal to have as many women of color in the gallery as possible yeah because we know they get even less recognition than white women do in the world of art yeah absolutely yeah um and so i think uh, you have a a facebook page of the feminist society we do it's just ku live in feminist society very simple Yeah, and all the events, uh, you post all the events on there, right? Yeah, we post all of our events on there, and um, oh, they're open to everybody as long as you have a good attitude about it. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think it's mostly in Pangaea, the events? Yeah, almost yeah. all of our events are in Pangaea, just because it's, it's easy to yeah. access, and many international students know where it is, and... Most of what we do involves international students. Yeah, exactly. So what what is the next uh, upcoming event for the Feminist Society? Um, it's actually going to be for Pride Week. And so we are working on some collaborations with Undivided and Leonardo LGBT uh-huh. um, to do something, maybe a movie showing in Pangaea for that. Yeah, okay. We did, yeah. Last year we did the same thing. Because Pride Week is when again? It's uh, the first in, or second week of May. I'm yeah, not in May, quite right? sure yeah. on the specifics. So are you guys also going to Brussels to the... Uh, I believe that is the plan. To the Yeah, okay. There's still nice. some fuzzy details that need to be worked out. Yeah, but the the plan is to go there. Yes. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, any other plans for the Feminist Society in the future? Um, currently, for this semester, this academic year... Not so much because as exams get closer and closer, there's less, uh, we as students have time to do. But in the future, we definitely want to have more events like the open mic night, the art history night, and places where, you know, women can ha- be seen and have their voices. Yeah, 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 yeah. So everyone is welcome. Uh, diversity is a really a big thing for the feminist society. And um, yeah, I think you... Um, You have given us a really good impression of the Feminist Society. So uh, thank you so much for coming here. And uh, I wish you uh, the best of luck with everything uh, you're doing. Right, thank you so much. Thank you. Wanneer de Noordzee koppig breekt aan hoogduinen En witte vlakken schuin uiteenslaan op de kruinen Wanneer de Noordse vloed beugt En een zwart basalt, een overdijken duin, de grijze nevel valt. 
Wanneer bij je op het strand voelt is als een woestijn En natte westenwinden gieren van venijn Dan vecht mijn land, mijn vlak land Wanneer de regen daalt op straten, pleinen, perken Op dak en torenspits van hemel over kerken die in dit vlakke land de enige bergen zijn wanneer onder de wolken mensen dwergen zijn wanneer de dagen gaan in domme regelmaat en wind het land nog vlakker slaat dan wacht mijn land mijn vlak land, wanneer de lage lucht vlak over het water scheert, wanneer de lage lucht ons nederigheid leert, wanneer de lage lucht er grijs als lijsteen is, wanneer de lage lucht er vaal als keilig is, wanneer de noordwind de vlakte vieren. Wanneer de noordwind onze adem steelt, dan kraakt mijn land, mijn vlak land. Wanneer de scheld blinkt in zuidelijke zon en elke Vlaamse vrouw in zon Japan, wanneer de eerste spin zijn lentewebben weeft, of dampende het veld in jullie zonlicht beeft, wanneer de zuidenwind er schatert door het kraan, wanneer de zuidenwind er jubelt langs de baan, dan juicht mijn land. Mijn vlak land. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the studios of Radio Scorpio. This is The Voice. And we're moving on now to our final part of today's podcast slash show. For, therefore, we have Nick Johnston, an editor of The Voice, here in our studios. Hello, Nick. Yo, what's good, everybody? How are you doing? <laughs> so, welcome, welcome. Nick, you were thinking about the, the, the cases of the tuition fees a lot. In fact, you co-authored a three-paged article on it, right? You know, Sehan, it's funny you mention that, if I remember correctly. Though with age, memory sometimes fails. I think, indeed, we did pen together a three-page oh. article. <laughs> Oh yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. It's funny how that happened. <laughs> no, no, no. So, but a lot of things, in fact, has happened uh, since then. Mm -hmm. the, the the poll was launched. Yes. We got more insights on the argumentation mm -hmm. from mostly from the Stura. Yeah. So, Nick, would you you have you, I know you have thoughts on the argumentation. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, I've been thinking quite a bit about it. I can give some really rough background as to where we're at in the conversation, you could say. So some of the most substantial fee changes occurred or came into effect for this academic year. However, they have their root in legislation that took effect in 2014. What's the situation right now, however, is since the increases last year, attention has gathered among international students uh, like ourselves, and there have been people attending or calling for events to be held, information sessions, different uh, student faculties have been Uh, looking into it and discussing it and debating it, the HIW, the philosophy faculty, held a poll for the students. And then this was brought to Stura when it was found that about 70% of students opposed uh, the increases. And now Stura themselves, the student representation, is holding a poll which will close April 22nd. So for listeners, they should go online, read up and uh, maybe vote to get their voices heard. Yes, thank you for <laughs> bringing up the, 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 the yeah. deadline because it was not communicated, I think, on the... Yeah, I'm not sure if it's online. I could check the website again, yeah, but yeah. I don't remember it being... Yeah, well, we, we were in touch, in fact, with Stura and they mm -hmm. confirmed us it's the 22nd. Okay. Yeah, yeah so Nick, um, 
about the arguments of yeah. the of like the arguments they use to increase the tuition fees. One of them is um, that international students would need more psychological guidance. Mm-hmm. Could you elaborate on that? Yes. So there's a few layers to justifications and arguments that are have been given, and one that's come up both faculties have given this. I think LBK uh, philosophy faculty have each cited this when interviewed or asked by students. There was an article last year where Gerd van Riel, the dean of the philosophy faculty, uh, cited the need for international students to have increased access and availability to psychosocial uh, support services. And they cite a study that was conducted a few years back saying that among Kayuluvan students, there's a slightly increased need among the international population. And the common sense reasoning is because this isn't our homeland, you know, we integration, feeling away from home, something like this. And hence they say we need to increase funding to support this. Yeah. There's a few yeah. uh, hitches uh, to this argument that maybe uh, listeners are thinking about or you are as well as I am. One of the first things that I think of is simply if there's anything that's harming my psychosocial well-being, it's the fact that I don't have enough money for things. Uh And so, for example, if I had to, luckily I don't, uh, because by sort of gentleman's agreement, by virtue of already having been a student, it doesn't increase for me yet. Um, However, if I had to pay the increased fees, I would be tearing out far more hair than I am now already, (laughs) since for my faculty, it was an increase of 550%. Uh, from 2017 to 2018, yeah. uh, approximately. No one, I hope no one, you know, crucifies me on the precise numbers mm. and brings up decimals. But that's one layer. The other difficulty is simply there's no way to trace or to pinpoint what the extra funds that faculties have gathered are spent on. And so this was brought up at, uh, they called it sort of the debate about tuition fees. This was December 12th, last semester. People were bringing up questions and someone said, you know, to one of the store representatives, how do we know what the faculties are spending their money on. And they said and have published in their report from that event, yeah, we can't. Like, we don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's just something we have to either trust or doubt. And uh, I'm pressing X to doubt right now. There's no transparency at all. As as what's been made available to me and on the Stura's report on the debate about tuition fees and the information they've provided, there's no way to look at precisely the transactions where they've ended up. You can sort of work backwards if you see that new faculty maybe have been hired and there's new job listings and postings Uh, and payroll and things like this. Uh, However, it's not a transparent relationship. Yeah, because, I mean, for example, how do they come up with the tuition fee increase uh, in connection with that psychological guidance? Because the students, uh, you can go to a student psychologist for, I think, like 13 euros uh, an hour. So why would I have to pay as an international uh, 3,500 euros for my studies? uh, Mm -hmm. Because I would need psychological guidance, right? Yeah, that's another way to think about it simply is, so if I had an increase of about 2,000 something euros to my overall price. And that's mid-range. Some faculties, it increased to 6,000. If you have, I think it's 18 or 20 euro-ish for a session uh, with the Student Health Center, which includes counseling, you could pay for, man, months and months and months of sessions. You could do like a proper Freudian psychoanalysis three times a week (laughs) kind of thing uh, with that sort of cost. Um, so, yeah, this is just one layer of uh, some of my grievances uh, about the arguments they've given. On, on the part of the, 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 the psychological help, mm-hmm. I, have sent to, I have sent emails mm-hmm. um, past weeks to the data management yeah. center of KU Leuven and asked for data if they could give me uh, some evidence about it. And they have told me that uh, it's very difficult it's uh, let's say it's um, cumbersome or it's difficult to give this kind mm-hmm. of data out since it concerns the health of people. However, they have sent uh, emails to the psychological center to mm-hmm. in- inquiry that. Uh, what 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 made me surprised what surprised me was they came up with this argument saying that internationals need more psychological help, but they don't have the numbers ready. Yeah. So for me, I think I would buy into this argument or I would take it in better faith if they could demonstrate that the resources which already exist are under strain or underutilized if they needed, for example, an awareness campaign. Because I don't think any of us want to deny or invalidate 
what probably is a reality, that yeah. people coming from far away are encountering an extra level of difficulty in, you know, integrating, feeling at home, getting with the groove of Flanders, right? Yeah. But, the, you know, we would expect a little bit more to, to take the argument in good faith, which I would sort of use to pivot to frame the conversation in the context of the other arguments they've given, that they give at different levels, you could say. So, for example, the legal reasoning that was given to make these increases possible is tied to the fact that, for example, the argument they make, we internationals don't have families residing here who are paying taxes contributing uh, to the education system. However, at the level of the strategic plan internal to this university, they give another reason, which is they want so-called better students. Yes, yeah. There's, you have to wonder, like, they're putting these chips on different tiles, right? They're, They're trying to convince us through these different angles. And you have to wonder which one really is decisive and for whom and at what stage in this process did it convince and who did it convince because different faculties are deciding autonomously. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I would like to come back again on this fact that, mm-hmm. the, that we don't have any evidence mm-hmm. and KUL teaches us with academic rigor <laughs> yeah. to make evidence-based decisions. Yes. And I, yeah. have, I have quite a bit to say about that when it comes to especially the argument in the 2017 to 2021 strategic plan that to get better students, you increase prices, which is not convincing to me. We have a short break now with uh, our next track. Le long des golfes clairs A des reflets d'argent À la mer Des reflets changeants Sous la pluie Au ciel d'été Confond ces blancs moutons Avec les anges si purs À la mer Bergère d'azur Infinie Voyez Près des étangs
Hello, hello. We are back in the studio of Radio Scorpio 106 FM. With with Charles Trenet, we also have now a bit more calm, calm here, calm moments here in the radio, and wish you a pleasant weekend, and see you next time. Radio Scorpio, Radio Scorpio. only dances FM.